TED Audio Collective. So last week, we played a talk by Katie Hood. Given its central importance in our lives, isn't it interesting that we're never explicitly taught how to love? She's the CEO of an organization called One Love that teaches students around the world how to have healthier relationships. We build friendships, navigate early romantic relationships, get married and bring babies home from the hospital with the expectation that we'll figure it out. But the truth is, we often harm and disrespect the ones we love. So One Love gives students a language to recognize and discuss the signs of unhealthy relationships. But we all know these signs don't just apply to romantic situations. They can show up in our relationships with our friends, our cousins, our uncles, our neighbors, and oh yes, our coworkers. I'm Madhupa Akinola. This is TED Business. And today I'm going to talk to Katie about how the same dynamics that happen with Uncle Joe, Cousin Nisi, and that ex no one ever liked can show up at work. And how the signs like intensity and belittling that Katie mentioned in her talk can show up at work too. Hello, Katie. So Katie's actually a friend of mine. We went to business school together. We were consultants together. Then she pivoted. Yeah. Not that money's a bad thing, but like, it's not enough for me. I'm really motivated by change and wanting to improve the world somehow. And eventually became the CEO of One Love. You know, I'm running a business, but it's a business about teaching. So given her background in business and now her focus on healthy relationships, I wanted to pick her brain about how we can be better to each other at work. This show is brought to you by Schwab. With Schwab Investing Themes, it's easy to invest in ideas you believe in, like artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy as is or customize the stocks in a theme to fit your goals. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Hey, TED Business listeners. We're supported by our friends at Working Smarter, a new podcast from Dropbox exploring the exciting potential of AI in the workplace. Working Smarter talks with founders, researchers, and engineers about the things they're building and the problems they're solving with the help of the latest AI tools. Tools that can save them time, improve collaboration, and create more space for the work that matters most. On Working Smarter, hear practical discussions about what AI can do so that you can work smarter too. Listen to Working Smarter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit workingsmarter.ai. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds. Thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. 
So you mentioned earlier that like now you teach, we both teach, and you're an expert in teaching about healthy relationships, but your background is in business. So as you think about that, are there any work relationships that you look back on and you're like, hmm, that was kind of problematic? Oh my gosh. So so I got into this healthy relationship space because a friend of mine, her cousin was killed. Yardley Love was her name. She was killed at the University of Virginia. And I started learning about domestic violence and realizing this is a public health epidemic in this country and there's no large-scale prevention efforts. And it was really clear after she was killed that lots of people saw lots of different things. And if a domestic violence expert had been dropped into the room, they would have known what was going on and they would have known what to do. But none of the young people had that education. So it was a really simple idea. Let's fill that gap. Because if they'd had that information, they would have known what to do. But as we started doing the work, we realized that nobody wants to talk about violence and abuse. Nobody, even though the stats show this is a zero degree of separation issue, we do not call the relationships that we're in violent and abusive, even when they are. We think it happens to other people elsewhere. And so we really started using the relationship health language and unhealthy and healthy relationships so that people could hear what we wanted to teach. Because it turns out everybody wants to learn about the difference between healthy and unhealthy relationships. Why is that? I always say like 100% of us have been in unhealthy relationships and 100% of us actually do unhealthy things. And it's no surprise. None of us are taught ever. So That was the first epiphany. The second epiphany was that relationships are relationships. So while we had started with romantic relationships, the same behaviors that are unhealthy in romantic relationships are unhealthy in work relationships and friend relationships and family relationships. So we realized we, in teaching about these unhealthy behaviors, we had something that could help people through all parts of their lives. So when you ask the question, when you look back, do you flag unhealthy things, even abusive? A hundred percent. And I don't think there's a single person who hasn't experienced something unhealthy in a work environment because it's part of being human, healthy and unhealthy behaviors. What would you do differently now knowing what you do about healthy relationships? I mean, our whole goal is to turn what people normally code as emotion, how you feel when somebody belittles you or when somebody's volatile with you. We want to give people a language. So instead of just feeling bad, they can say, that was really belittling. And they can name it, and then they can talk through it. So it's providing a language we didn't have before. So, you know, like in investment banking, I was screamed at, for example, as an analyst, first year. And that was just the culture. That was totally fine to do. Would I have had better tools to say, listen, I understand that I made a mistake on that. But when he screams at me that way, it's really volatile and it's really intense. So I, I want to do my best here. I want constructive criticism, but that was... Would I have been able to have that conversation? Yes. Would I also recognize the times, the times in my career where I perhaps was not as healthy and yeah. realized yeah. that um, I was maybe reacting emotionally instead of pausing and thinking about, wait a minute, let's not be intense here. Let's like, you yeah. know, these are, these are common things. But yes, I absolutely would have managed my career differently. Tell me what your process would have been for that. I mean, we've all lived that, right? You kind of actually talked about him in the third person, him or her excuse me, men and women yell, as we both know. <laughs> so true. Um, do you feel like you wish you had more HR advocacy to go to to say that? What would you have needed to say that to um, your manager's face? What do you think we need to do more of in organizations? 
This, well, this was a man, by the way, but and it wasn't okay. a man I knew well. It was a man in another okay. um, department, and uh, a late night request for something had come in, and eager to be a high performer, I thought I did it right, and I sent it to him. And by the when I got to my desk the next morning, he called to scream at me for sending him the wrong stuff. So okay, I remember telling my boss that it happened, but mm-hmm. I did not have a language to explain why it felt wrong. I also was not in a culture that really cared to self-reflect that much. So mm-hmm. I would have talked to my manager. Um, but when I think today of where we are, that was so many years ago. Unfortunately, I'm getting old. But it really, as leaders, we have to think about the environment we're creating. There's environments where that stuff is the norm. And I would say investment banking in the 90s, that was the norm. It was borderline abusive. Like I learned a ton at the investment bank I worked at. But it wasn't exactly a healthy work environment. Right, right. But now, as I think about what I know, I think that, and I've learned so much from my team and honestly from some of the younger folks on my team about the need to create spaces and define norms and rules so that everyone is clear on what's okay and what's not okay. It helps all of us to remind and restate you know, we one of our core values is we want to live the 10 signs. We want to live the 10 healthy signs with each other. And we want to model what we teach. And as a North Star for an organization, that's just a really powerful one. Wait, pause. She just mentioned 10 healthy signs, but a lot of us don't know what they are. And I want to highlight three of them that I think are particularly relevant for our work relationships. First, taking responsibility. This means owning your actions and words, not placing blame, and admitting when you've made a mistake. Second, healthy conflict. Openly and respectfully discussing issues and confronting disagreements non-judgmentally. And third, respect. Valuing each other's beliefs and opinions. So Katie says an important step in building a healthy workplace is to agree that these are the kinds of behaviors you want to see. But I still had a question for Katie. My question is, most organizations would say they have something like that. And for context, you know, I work with lots of organizations and they'll say, oh, we don't allow or accept belittling. We don't allow or accept bullying. And it's in this document, in this operation manual, in this blah, blah, blah. So it's there, but it's not reinforced and people aren't held accountable. So what do you think is needed in addition to kind of having that laid out? in an organization? Well, I would say that bullying, bullying has the same problem as domestic violence in the sense that nobody thinks they're a bully and nobody thinks that friend who's sometimes mean to them is a bully. Nobody thinks it hits that criteria. Bullying is something, and not always, but bullying also labels versus really putting fine-tuned emphasis on the behaviors you want to see. Bully is more of a label and it's a broad scale, like, description. But if you say, like, we want to have an environment where people trust each other, and this is what it looks like, and this is how it shows up. Mm -hmm. It's not just defining what you don't want to see. It's defining what you do want to see. Because it's no environment's fault, but none of us have ever been taught these things. So hopefully, you know, we'll succeed at some point educating every kid, giving every kid a baseline, giving them this language, and they'll walk into work environments already having the knowledge and having it normed for them that this is something they should do and they should talk about. But until then, I think companies have to step up and just think a little creatively about what they have to do to create the climate they really want to create. Yeah. 
Let's talk about the concept of intensity, which is something that you mentioned, intensity versus suffocation. And I want to go back to this idea of, you know, somebody who might be feeling that the intensity has gone to suffocation at work. What advice would you give them? And as you said, we were both in lots of suffocating experiences in consulting and in our work lives before and even sometimes now. What advice do you give? Well, a couple things. So um, I think there's two different levels here. One is, is the work environment intense. And I think that different people have different tolerance for that. Like when I think about all the job jumping around that I did early on in my career, I went from an extremely intense environment to an extremely not intense environment. And I realized that wasn't me and that wasn't me. So I got to find my way into the middle. So I always tell people like, you have to figure out what you're calibrated for and find the environment that works with who you are. Cause that's an individual answer, right? Like, you know, my husband, he's pretty intense. He can handle a lot more than me, for example. So then there's intensity in relationships at work. As little as like a colleague who constantly, you know, in the pre-COVID world, shows up at your cube or your office and says, want to grab lunch, want to grab lunch, want to grab lunch, want to grab lunch, or yeah. has a constant need to know what you're working on, what project you're on, who's, and it's just, that can be suffocating. And that's a person who is like overstepping boundaries, right? And probably in many cases, if that were happening to me, I'm a person who hasn't stated what my boundaries are. That's very, very common. Mm. I think like if you're working on a project team, we've all been with the colleague who jumps in and wants to get an A on the test, even if that involves running a marathon every day for six days, and it really sort of destroys morale on the team, usually we tend to just say, oh, that person's so annoying or something like that. That's not helpful because it may be annoying, but really what's more helpful is to say, what's the behavior? Because not everybody can change their behaviors, but the only way somebody will is if you flag it for them. And and we have to increase our comfort level with this. This can be uncomfortable. This is why we need like a whole social change about tolerance for like these conversations. But saying, you know, when you start a project and you start sprinting without checking in to make sure that the team can keep up, it really has a negative effect on the team. And I totally admire the way that you sprint. It's awesome. But because we have to do this as a team, do you think we could check in at the beginning and that you could think a little bit about how that sprint might affect us? So you can think about ways to have that I conversation. Love that. I and, love that. And that in itself opens an avenue. You give that kind of comment, the person might say, you know, you're totally right. I sprint because I am a total perfectionist. It's something I really struggle with. That's a trust building exercise if you can have that conversation. And so at the end of the day, it's figuring out how to have those things that are not condemning a person as annoying or whatever it is, but really say, like, this is the behavior and how it's affecting me. Support for TED Business comes from Odoo. What's Odoo? Well, Odoo is an all-in-one management software with apps for every business need. Odoo has apps for CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, manufacturing, and everything in between. And they're all in one easy to use software. And the best part about Odoo, all Odoo apps are integrated, helping you get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash tedbusiness. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash tedbusiness. 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You just did a little role play. I love role play. So we're going to do another one. Okay. Because I think our listeners can benefit from hearing these kind of role plays. Okay. All right. So um, you're my manager. And um, I have become bold and confident. And you just belittled me. And I'm like, it's time for me to talk to my manager. So I've gotten myself ready. I'm getting myself ready emotionally right now. So here we go. Hi, Katie. Hi, Madupe. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I've really been enjoying working with you and the project that we're on. I feel like we're making so much progress, but there was an experience that happened the other day that I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. Tell me more. When you asked me for that deliverable and I gave it to you. Yep. You mean the spreadsheet uh, that had the errors in it? Yeah. Yeah. And um, you gave me some feedback. Yes. I kind of felt like you saw me as an idiot and I'm really working my best and I'm trying my hardest. And, um, I just, I, I, I just wanted to share that with you because it, it, it hurt. I'm so sorry that I made you feel like an idiot. That was definitely not my intent, but if that is the impact I had, then I'm super grateful that you just raised it with me. Um, I was frustrated because that spreadsheet was super important for another person's work. And when I realized, I guess I was sort of mad at myself for not catching the mistake, but I probably was intense in my response to you. And I get that giving you that feedback in front of the whole project team, that was probably a mistake. That was a mistake. So um, I hear you say that you're trying to do your best. And I think you're doing, by and large, a great job here. So what I want to do is I I do want to apologize and have you hear that if you would like. I think this is a good example I can bring up with the team about like a time where I did something that had an unintended consequence, but a consequence nonetheless, and that we want to create a team where we don't sort of lash out or we don't make somebody feel unvalued. Um, And I will work on that and I'll slow down a little bit next time. Thank you. It was hard for me to say this to you. So I'm wondering... How can we continue to have these types of productive conversations too? Well, it might be interesting to use this um, experience and and for us to come together to talk about how you experienced it and then what I could have done better. Maybe we can use that as an opportunity with the team. Why don't we have a clear the air moment where we talk about some of the things that may be unspoken and then maybe we can on a go forward basis really commit to like on a monthly basis checking in with each other. Because I I genuinely think we have good people here who care about each other. But the work relationships are challenging. Communication styles are different. So I think we just need to create more communication about this. I love that. Thank you so much for, you know, just taking the time to listen and to set a path forward. And please let me know how I can be helpful in any way. Yes, I think you can encourage other people that this is a work environment where we want everybody to feel comfortable and feel able to... um, 
have healthy relationships with their colleagues, but it's not something that happens overnight. I appreciate you being willing to do the work and have the hard conversation. Love it. And end scene. Scene ends here. <laughs> okay, but you're a great manager, obviously. Like you had the well, tools. Well, you had the tools. You had the tools to be able to have a good conversation and not all do. Well, 100% I have the tools, which is why I can do that role play. Um, and I think I'm a good manager. I'm not a perfect manager. And I yep. think one of the things I would say is like that situation was a role play. So what if the situation with me was one where I felt um, like, let's, let's pretend that was me and I didn't feel like my comment was belittling. So the first thing I would say is I would highly recommend that before going in to talk to your boss, you actually like develop an ally or colleague at work that you can role play with before you walk in. Mm, um, yep. One of our business school classmates, she told me very early in our careers that whenever she had to have a hard conversation at work, she imagined the person she thought would handle it best. And in this case, it was usually her dad. And she would imagine how her dad would approach this conversation. And in her head, she would almost like map it out. So I use that visualization process a lot. And I also have somebody that I can call and be like, okay, here's the situation. I'm feeling this way. I'm worried about this. Talk me through. And I think the important part of that is you get out of your own head. Um, Frequently, the person you're talking to will maybe have more empathy for the other person than you do and be like, well, they're probably feeling this or they're probably thinking this. So I would really encourage early in your career developing the, whether it's a friend at work or a friend outside of work, somebody that can really be your like coach on this stuff. Yeah. One thing I also do is after the fact or when I'm in preparation for that, I'll write down what I want to say. Yes. You know, so I think that 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 can be a real, even before the role play, writing it down. I agree. I agree. And I agree. I think that, um, or even the arc of what you want to say. Because when we get into these situations, it's our emotions tick up, like our adrenaline goes up. And I think sometimes when your adrenaline goes up, your brain shuts down. So (laughs) that's exactly right. So if you even say to yourself, there are three things I need to say during the course of this meeting. Yeah. And by the way, when you're delivering a critique to a manager, for example, or to a colleague, remember to sandwich the critique in a positive on either end, which you did a great job of in the role play, actually. Starting like, I'm really loving my job here, this, that, but this, and I'm really excited at the end. But write down the three points you want to make. Um, yep. I think as a manager, when I am at my worst is when my emotions are triggered. So when I feel like it's a personal attack, I have to have a literal like narrative in my head about this is not personal. This is not personal. This is not personal. And even if you heard how I started with tell me more, whenever someone comes in with a complaint, so to speak, it's very easy to immediately put a defensive posture on Mm -hmm. because we all want to be good managers and we all want to think that we're perfect. We're not. So the tell me more is a pause to let the other person speak. And sometimes you have to do that. I have to do that a number of different times so that I can actually hear what they have to say. Because frequently, instead of hearing what they have to say and then responding, we are calculating our response while we are getting the feedback. So we're not really listening. So I would say, know that that's possible. Don't expect your manager to be perfect. I do think there's situations where you have managers who cannot listen to you. And that, that, to me, is the place where you need to get HR involved, to be perfectly honest. But give it a couple goes with your manager. If you have one bad experience with feedback, 
Don't let it be like, I can never talk to that person again. You know, a couple days later, say, listen, (laughs) I don't want to do this every day, but I just need to really process with you. Now, not every boss is open to that. I mean, I'm open to that. I think that that probably does differentiate a good manager from a not good one is just being open to that. That's right. But if situation's bad and you feel constantly belittled in meetings and your boss can't hear you and doesn't really address what you're saying, then you need to go to HR. Yeah. And or you might need to leave. And so my other question for you is, when do you know? What are some of the signs that you should leave? I mean, you talk about those in terms of romantic relationships, but it's and and it's hard to do in romantic relationships. It is materially hard to do in work relationships too, because you need to find a new job. You need to so when do you know? When do you know? And 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 you might even be tempted to fix things. So what are some signs that tell you it is really time to leave? So the first thing I'm going to say, so I, this is probably the most frequent thing I talk about when I'm sort of giving advice about work in particular, as I always think about the question, what gives you oxygen? So if we think about having oxygen, we can breathe, we can, we feel healthy, we feel this, like, versus what takes oxygen away. Yes. So every job, That's the sort of thing I have thought about. Like when I was in investment banking, I was losing oxygen. And it was very clear to me I needed to leave. That this wasn't a fixable thing. This wasn't about any one boss. It was sort of about the industry. It was sort of about the intensity. It, It was depleting my oxygen. So I don't think it's, I think there is a little bit of like, it's an art, not a science. Yes. That being said, if you are in an environment, and I go back to the 10 signs of an unhealthy relationship, with a volatile boss who sabotages you, like say you do a great job on a project, they take all the credit, they don't even mention you were part of it, or they they only point out your deficits, not your strengths. If you feel isolated from the team, you don't feel like you're connected and have possibility to grow. If you think about all those words and those behaviors, your oxygen's got to be pretty low. I think you can connect these two ideas versus if you're in a place where you feel a high degree of trust, you can work independently, you have a team that's honest and kind. Like, you're going to be better there. So I think, you know, I love the oxygen metaphor because I think we all can relate to it. And you can almost physically feel it when you think about it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes absolute sense. Katie, you've talked a lot about these 10 signs of healthy and unhealthy relationships. Where can people go to learn more? Yeah, so the 10 signs are the anchor of everything we teach. Uh, you can go to joinonelove.org. Um, and find the 10 signs and think through them yourselves. I think what you'll realize is, again, while our, our organization was focused most on how do we prevent relationship abuse and build a world where we all can love better, uh, the truth is these signs are relevant to every relationship in our life. So if you learn them on the site, you can start thinking about how they show up in your work relationships, your family relationships, your friendships, because I promise you they are there. Thank you so much, Katie, for spending this time and for doing the amazing work that you do. Honestly, it, it just blows me away. And I'm, I'm grateful to call you a friend. Oh, I, it was a joy to be with you. I am so grateful to call you a friend too. And thank you for helping direct more people to this. I think in a world where so much seems to be going wrong, the truth is we can each take charge of our own relationships. And that's really important. This show is produced by Kim naderfane Peterza, mixed by Sam Baer, and fact-checked by Eliza Solomon. And special thanks to Michelle Quint, Corey Hagem, Nicole Bodie, Anna Phelan, and Colin Helms. 
I'm Adu Baganola, and you can always reach me with feedback or ideas for the show at businessted.com. Talk to you again next week. Support for the show comes from Brooks Running. I'm so excited because I have been a runner, gosh, my entire adult life. And for as long as I can remember, I have run with Brooks Running Shoes. Now I'm running with a pair of Ghost 16s from Brooks. Incredibly lightweight shoes that have really soft cushioning. It feels just right when I'm hitting my running trail that's just out behind my house. You now can take your daily run in the better-than-ever Go 16. You can visit brooksrunning.com to learn more.